The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. I come back over to Hastings to see lots of friendly faces and to get to share God's word with you. And today I've got, I don't know, it might be a big task, no, today I want to help you to recognise that you and your life are probably quite mundane and quite ordinary. But I also want to help convince you and show you that that really is okay. This is something I think I've realised kind of recently. I turned 30 at the end of last year, and I know 30 isn't very old, but it has kind of changed my perspective on life, I think. And in a sense, around that kind of time, I kind of had this growing realisation of, I really am quite mundane and quite ordinary. And my life really is quite mundane and quite ordinary. And I kind of hope that I'll be a bit of a blessing to a few people around me. I hope that in some small way, when I'm gone, people remember some good things about me and there'll be a little bit of a legacy. But the reality is, like most of us, I'm really quite a mundane, ordinary person, living quite a mundane, ordinary life. That probably is true for pretty much all of us, if not all of us here. But that really is okay. And one of the reasons I know that's okay, I can tell you that's okay, is because of the book of Ruth in the Bible, which is the book we're going to look at in this new series that we're launching into today. Because the book of Ruth shows us that God is at work even through seemingly mundane, ordinary lives and mundane, ordinary people, people like you and me. We see in this book that God is at work in ordinary lives, and actually God is at work in ordinary lives and uses them in his extraordinary purposes. And so this story should be of huge encouragement to all of us. There's wonderful good news to be found in this book, the book of Ruth. We're calling this series Ruth, Ancient Story and Modern Lessons because this is a very small book in the earliest part of the Old Testament. It's an old story. It's a story from a faraway place a long time ago, over three millennia ago. But it's a story which is amazingly relevant to us today. It has some incredibly helpful lessons for us to draw out. And what we're going to do over the coming weeks is to look at some of the themes, some of the kind of lessons it has for us as people living in the modern world today. But today, we're going to start actually with an overview of the whole book. We're going to look at the whole of Ruth together today. We're actually going to read the whole of the book, but don't worry, it is relatively short. I'm not going to keep you here all day. We're going to read the whole book because it is a story. It's meant to be read as one. It's meant to be viewed as one story and kind of understood as one story. And often in maybe our personal Bible reading and also the way we teach the Bible in a church context, we kind of chop the Bible up into small manageable parts. And that's a good thing and a wise thing to do often. But the risk of getting all the little parts is sometimes you don't see the whole. And hopefully today, by looking at the whole of the book of Ruth together, the whole of this story, we're going to draw out what it tells us as a kind of whole working together. And I've got some friends here who are going to kindly help us to bring this to life with a bit of a dramatic reading so we can really engage with this story with the kind of drama that it's meant to be. And we'll kind of break up with a few little reflections from me as we go through, trying to draw out what is the kind of big picture message of this book. Let me first just set it in the context of where this comes. So this comes fairly early in the Old Testament. It's the first part of the Bible. And it's in a context where life for God's people is really quite messy. 
So by this point, God has rescued his people, Israel, the ones to whom he made promises and promised they'd be his people and he'd be their God. He's rescued them out of Egypt and their slavery under the leadership of Moses. That's in the book of Exodus or the film, The Prince of Egypt. You know that story. He's led them through the wilderness wanderings in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and he's brought them to the land that he's promised them. And in the book of Joshua, we see them begin to take hold of and to begin to settle and set up camp and set up life in some of the areas of this promised land that God had promised to them. And then we reach the book of Judges, which comes just before Ruth. And in Judges, you see the people beginning to settle in the land, and you see the fact that actually their slavery in Egypt wasn't their only problem. Actually, in a sense, they too are a problem. They, like us, are the problem much deeper than any external slavery. It's an internal slavery to sin. And what happens in the book of Judges is this repeated cycle. The people of Israel, God's people, turn away from him. They worship other gods. They go off track, as it were. They fail to keep God's law. And so in judgment, in response, God allows other nations and tribes to invade them and to occupy their land and to cart them off and stuff. But then after a time, God, purely out of his own kindness and grace and mercy, raises up a leader. And these leaders are known as judges, hence the name of the book. And these leaders then lead them to freedom from that oppression from other nations. But then the cycle repeats. The people uh, uh, worship idols again. They turn away from God. They fail to keep God's law. Another nation comes and gets involved. Another judge is raised up. And the situation just gets worse and worse and worse. And actually, by the end of Judges, things are really bad. Near the end of the Judges is what's probably the most horrific story in the Bible. It's a powerful illustration of just the way that the people's hearts are enslaved to sin. They're unable to worship God faithfully, unable to live his way faithfully. But then you get to the book of Ruth, which comes in between Judges and 1 Samuel, which will pick up the idea of maybe a king's the solution. You get to the book of Ruth, which takes place in the time of the Judges, and it's a kind of very different book and a very different thing going on. You read Judges, and it's sin and rebelling and violence. It's chaotic. It's horrific. You come to the book of Ruth, and it's calm and wholesome, almost, in a sense. It's, there is a stark contrast, and we're meant to learn from these faithful Israelites living in the midst of actually a very chaotic, chaotic and sin-filled society. That's where the book of Ruth fits in, as it were, to the Bible story. And so let's kick off on the story, the kind of first scene in this story, and see what happens. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone, without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, 
and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if I were possible, and I were to marry tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not. My daughters, things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again, they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Naomi said to her, Look to your sister-in-law. She has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't Naomi call, responded. Don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring, at the beginning of the barley harvest. So the story starts with trials, tragedy and travelling. There's a trial, a, a famine hits the land. This family can't survive in Bethlehem. They realise they're going to have to flee and go away. So Eli Melek and his wife Naomi and their sons, they travel out of Judah. They go around the Dead Sea, which was to the east of Judah, and they go to Moab, which is to the southeast of the Dead Sea. They've got to go round it and settle there. There's a trial, and there's a tragedy. Eli Melek, the dad of the family, he dies. The sons marry, but 10 years later, they die too, and Naomi is left on her own with her two now widowed daughters-in-law. And notice two things here. One is that all these circumstances that happened to Naomi were out of her control. A famine, the death of her husband, the death of her sons. Well, not how it happens, but it's completely out of her control. These are the kind of things, the kind of tragedies and trials that sometimes just strike in life, and they're not in our control. And notice also now the vulnerability of Naomi. She's a widow in a foreign land. And by the way, Moab and Israel often didn't get on. So not only is she in a foreign land, she's in a foreign land where there are often tensions between the people of the land and her own people. And in this ancient cultural context, being a widow was one of the most vulnerable positions. You had no one to protect you, no one to provide for you. She's hugely, hugely vulnerable now. And the news comes that the famine back home has ended, so she thinks, well, I'm going to go back. Maybe she thought that would be a safer place for her to be. Maybe she thought there's more chance of her being provided for there. 
Initially, her daughter-in-laws are going to go with her. One decides to go back, but Ruth decides to continue. And there's that beautiful commitment that Ruth expresses to Naomi. It's one of the kind of most powerful statements of friendship we get in the Bible. So, so far, it's a story of trials, of tragedy, of traveling. And in a sense, it's just quite mundane stuff, isn't it? These are seemingly normal, insignificant people living normal lives, facing all the normal difficulties and the ups and downs of life. In many ways, this so far is a story about people like you and me. Yes, they're living a long way away. Yes, it's a long time ago in a very different context, but they're just normal people living normal lives and facing all the kind of difficulties that can bring. Which might get us asking the question, well, why is the story here? Well, let's keep going. Let's see what happens next. Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Eli Melech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grains left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Eli Melech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, Who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, She is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over, to, uh, sorry, went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. She asked, What have I done to deserve such kindness? I'm only a foreigner. But Boaz replied, Yes, I know. But I also know everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Ruth replied, I hope I can continue to please you, sir. You've comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her. Come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men. Let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and do not give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So, Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked, 
She said, The man I worked with today was named Boaz. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, What's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. So Naomi and Ruth are backing Bethlehem, but they're still in a very vulnerable position. They're still both widows. They've got no one to care and provide for them. And so Ruth goes out into the fields to see what she can gather. And what she's doing here, actually, is she's making use of the provisions that were put into Old Testament law, the laws God gave to Israel, to care and provide for the vulnerable and those in poverty. The Old Testament law told uh, landowners and farmers that when they harvested their lands, they weren't to kind of be overly and deliberately thorough to get every last little bit. And when things dropped off and stuff, they weren't to go back and pick them up. They were to leave them. And they were to allow the poor and vulnerable in society to come and to glean from, to take from what was left over after the harvest. This was part of how God was expressing his heart for those in poverty and making sure they'd be provided for. And that's what Ruth is doing. She knows about this law, or Naomi at least knows about this law. And so they go and they seek to make use of that. She ends up in the field of this guy called Boaz, who, as it happens, is a relative of Eli Melech, Naomi's uh, now passed away husband. And in a sense, he's a, kind of a, he's a small business owner, be that kind of equivalent for us in our day. And Boaz is a good man. We see that really clear in this chapter, and we're, we're meant to notice that. We're meant to notice he's a man who's keeping Old Testament law. He's allowing Ruth, and it seems other women as well, to gleam from his field after the harvest. He follows the law. He's actually also going much further than the law. He's going above and beyond what the law said, because he allows Ruth to come and sit with them at lunch, with the guys working for him, to sit with them and eat with them. He tells the harvesters not just to allow her to take from the field, but to deliberately drop some of the harvest for her to pick up as she goes around. He tells her to help herself to water, and he seeks to make sure she's protected. He talks to the young men who are working for him and tells them not to lay a hand on her, not to trouble her at all. This is a man faithful to God's law, going actually above and beyond God's law because he's understood the heart behind the law, God's heart expressed in it, his heart of care for those who are vulnerable, those who are in poverty in society. And so Boaz's kindness and faithfulness means that Ruth and Naomi, these two vulnerable widows, can eat for a season. So long as this season of the barley harvest is going on, they are now quite well provided for. But of course, that isn't a long-term solution. There's still some tensions in this story. What about when the barley harvest ends? What's going to happen then? There's still no one who's responsible for providing for them, protecting them. And there's some other problems they're facing. They together still have no legacy, no children. And in this context, that's a big deal. Who's going to inherit the family name? Who's going to inherit the family land? These things are just so important in this cultural context. Actually, the fact there's no children in this family is a big problem. There's some big tensions still in this story. And maybe we as readers of the Bible might still be thinking, lovely little story, but why are we being told? What's the big deal? We've got to keep going to find out. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, 
My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I'll do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who, who are you? He asked. She replied, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter. Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone for a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I'll do what is necessary. For everyone in the town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until the morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognise each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, Bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her, and she added, He gave me six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Naomi knows what we noted at the end of the last chapter, that in the barley harvest, things are great. They've got a way to get some food, some provisions, but that's not a long-term solution. She wants to make sure that Ruth, particularly as the younger woman, is sorted longer term. She's got some long-term security. And so Naomi concocts this plan for Ruth to go to Boaz. And it kind of sounds a bit racy, doesn't it? A young woman is going to bathe, going to put on some uh, perfume. She's going to go in the middle of the night to an older man. She's going to light his feet, uncover his feet. It may or may not be as racy as it sounds. For all we know, there may be some sort of cultural custom at play here, which we're just not aware of. It's not quite clear exactly why they're doing it in this way. And so she goes off. But what is noticeable is how um, Boaz reacts, that Boaz reacts really well. And what he's also noticeable, what's definitely going on, is they want Boaz to become their family redeemer. Their aim in this is that Boaz will become their family redeemer. And what that means is that Boaz would take on a role which was enshrined in Old Testament law as a common thing in ancient societies of caring for these vulnerable members of society. 
In Old Testament law, there are various forms of this role of a family redeemer, various things they would do, and two of them are really important for this story in explaining what's going on. One thing was about the land. Now, in ancient Israel, the land was really important. God had promised it to them. It had been given to the different tribes. Within the tribes, different families had ownership of different parts of land. Land was really important, and keeping it in the family was really important. So if a man died with no sons to take on his land and to inherit his land, then one of the family members would have to either receive or buy that land to keep it in the family, as it were. They'd have to redeem it as a family redeemer to keep it in the land. Now, Eli Medek had some land. It needs to stay in the family, so Naomi and Ruth need to find a man to take responsibility of that land. But then also another law that was really important was about having children. If a man died before he and his wife had had children, then it was the responsibility of a close family member of that man to marry the widow of the guy who died, and the first son they had would be considered not the son of the biological father, as it were, but would be considered the son of the man who died. Because actually there needs to be someone to take on the family name. There needs to be someone to take on the inheritance. There needs to be that continuation of that family tree for the very promises of God to continue down. Ruth's husband has died before they've had any children. There's no one to continue that family line. They're hoping that Boaz will become the family redeemer, marrying Ruth and continuing that family line. And also, actually, that provision in the Old Testament law was another way that God showed his heart for the vulnerable, another way he'd make sure that people who were left out of families, in this context, widows, were brought into family. And in the ancient context, if you're not in a family, you're in an incredibly vulnerable position. This was also God expressing his care towards people in vulnerable positions. And so Boaz is a relative of Naomi and Ruth and Eli Melech, and so their hope is that he will take on this role, taking the land, marrying Naomi, welcoming them into his family. So Ruth goes at night. Perhaps she goes at night because it would have been hard for her to get the chance to talk with him alone if it was in the daytime. Perhaps there is some sort of act of seduction planned here. But what we see definitely is Boaz continues to be a good Israelite, a man who lives God's way, a man who upholds the law. He doesn't take advantage of this situation, but actually he recognises his responsibilities as a family member and he's prepared to become their family redeemer. But he also knows actually there's a closer relative who should be asked first, actually, who actually has the primary responsibility to look after Ruth and Naomi and take on this role. And again, being a good law-abiding man, Boaz says he's prepared to uh, take on this role, but first actually he must talk to the closer relative and see if actually they are going to take on that role instead. So he sends Ruth away so that he can go and talk to his other relative but again, we see the generosity and kindness of Boaz. He doesn't just send her away. He sends her away loaded up with a load of barley. He's providing for them. We're meant to see time and time again, this is a man reflecting the heart of God and keeping the law of God. So what's going to happen? Who's going to redeem Ruth? Are they going to find some long-term security? Let's see in the last stage of the story. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer he mentioned came by, so Boaz called out to him. Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, Now, you know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She's selling the land that belonged to our relative, Eli Melech. 
I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away, because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children and will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I cannot do it. Now, in those days, it was custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you here today are my witnesses. I have brought from Naomi all the property of Eli Melech, Kilion and Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit, inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor, Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. Thanks so much, guys. Can we give a big thank you to our readers? So Boaz goes off and finds this other relative, the one who uh, was a closer relative, to see if they would take on this role of family redeemer. And they would take on the lamb, but they don't feel it's right for them to marry Ruth. And so they decide not to take on the role, and that leaves Boaz free to do so. He's going to act as family redeemer. He takes on the land, he marries Ruth. Ruth conceives and she gives birth to a son and now Ruth's position is secure. She's now part of a family again. Naomi, likewise, position is secure, part of a family and there's now a, a family tree continuing. There's a legacy, there's a new generation to inherit the land, inherit the name, inherit God's promises working through that family tree. 
In a sense, this is the resolution of all that's gone wrong in this story, a glorious restoration at the end of the story. And notice the words that the women of the community say or maybe sing at this point. They say, praise the Lord who's now provided a redeemer for your family. They see, in the midst of all that's happened here, the hand of God at work. And that's really important because in some ways, God is kind of conspicuous by his absence in this story. You might have noticed a few of the characters kind of mention God in passing, but the narrator never mentions him. We're never told he's done much. He's not very obvious and visible, but what this little bit is telling us, and what we're meant to know as readers of the Bible, is that God's hand is all over this. God's at work in the background of this. We're meant to recognise that in both the good and the bad of life, the easy and the difficult, God's there, God's at work. And we're meant to recognise the fact that the God at work is a God who cares. You see that in this story, in the way we see the Old Testament provisions for the poor and vulnerable being enacted, and we see the care of God in the uh, actual kind of putting into practice of the laws that God had put in place. You see the care of God in the way that he brings a family redeemer, and he restores Ruth and Naomi, bringing them back into family, in a position of safety, a position of being provided for. I meant to see that this God who's involved is a God who cares. And so in so many ways, this is just really quite a mundane story. Very ordinary people, in, in a sense, very ordinary circumstances, the ups and downs of life. But God is at work in that. The good God. The God who cares. And that should be a huge encouragement to all of us. The reality is that most of us, probably all of us, are quite mundane, ordinary people, living mundane, ordinary lives. But God's at work. In the good and the bad, the ups and the downs, God's hand is there. The good God, the God who cares. That should be an encouragement to us. Notice also this story doesn't end with the kind of happy ending. It doesn't end with the, the wedding and the children and the community being excited about this. It ends actually with a family tree. And to us, that might seem really odd. Why have this beautiful little story and then stick a load of confusing names on the end and what we might find is a rather boring little family tree? But it's really important to notice where that family tree leads up to, who it takes us to. It takes us to David. David will come a few generations later, as the family tree shows, and David will be the king of Israel. In fact, David will be pretty much the most important king of Israel. He becomes this pinnacle of kingship in Israel. He becomes the model of what a king should be. Every king afterwards is measured against him, and actually he points towards, and he's early in the family tree of a king who would come many generations later, who would truly be the perfect king. A king who would come as the perfect king would bring the perfect kingdom and a kingdom that would never have any end. David points us down his own family tree to Jesus. The author is showing us that through these ordinary people living their ordinary mundane lives with the ups and downs, God is doing an extraordinary thing. These ordinary people, this little story, is involved in the family tree that brings David and eventually brings Jesus. You see, God is at work in our lives, and God loves to work through the lives of ordinary people like you and me, and to use that in his extraordinary purposes. That's how God works. God is at work, and that means the book of Ruth helps us to value being quite ordinary people, living quite ordinary lives. Significance in the kingdom of God and in God's way of doing things isn't in being well-known or having lots of things that people look and think, aren't you amazing? Look at all this stuff. 
significance in the family of God and the kingdom of God is faithfully following him day by day through the ups and downs of life, knowing that he does extraordinary things through very ordinary people. Even if in our lives we don't see it, they would have had no idea how God was using them in his purposes. Again, it's another point of encouragement for us. May the band could come up at this point, please. But also, we can't overlook the fact that this story is pointing us to a later story. That family tree is meant to make us as later readers in God's people think of how the family tree continues, think of how the story continues. The story points us to more relatively ordinary people that come later. It makes us think of a man who, like Boaz, showed exceptional respect and care to a vulnerable woman. It makes us think of Joseph, who, when his wife is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, could easily have sent her away and left her in an incredibly vulnerable position as an unmarried mother in that ancient context. But instead, he shows himself to be a man who cares for the vulnerable. And he marries her and, again, welcomes her into his family. It's a story that reminds us of a couple who, like Eli Melech and Naomi, had to leave their homeland, not in this case because of famine, but because of opposition of their family, threats to their family. Reminds us of Joseph and Mary having to flee from their homeland to go to Egypt, taking Jesus because of Herod's attempts to kill Jesus and to take out this competing king. And their return to the land reminds us the story of another return to the land. When Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus return to the land, and Naomi and Ruth return to the land looking for a redeemer, Jesus returns to the land to be the redeemer. Jesus is the one who comes to redeem us. He comes to lift us out of a desperate and vulnerable situation. He comes to give us true long-term security. He is, in a sense, our family redeemer in the greatest sense, giving us long-term security, giving us eternal security, welcoming us into his family, into his people, into the church to be his bride. As Boaz redeems Ruth by marrying her, so Christ has redeemed us and we are betrothed to him and he will marry us on that great day when he comes back. We're waiting for the greatest wedding that there will ever, ever be and to enter into the most perfect, perfect eternal marriage. In Ruth, through these ordinary people living ordinary lives, we see a foreshadowing of the most extraordinary story. The story that if you are a Christian, you are already a part of. And if you're not, the invitation of Jesus today is you can become part of that story. So take encouragement today from the book of Ruth. Your life may feel very mundane and ordinary. Your life may have lots of ups, and maybe you're really aware of the lots of downs. Friends, take encouragement and take comfort that God is at work in it all. And taking encouragement and comfort with the fact that your life may feel insignificant. You may be very aware of your ordinariness and just think, my life is so insignificant. Friends, take comfort. God loves to work through our insignificant lives, and he is using us for his extraordinary purposes, even if we may never see quite in what way that is. And let this story point you to Jesus, point you to our Redeemer, point you to our husband, one who loved us and gave himself up for us. We're going to pray and then we're just going to worship Jesus, the one whom this story is pointing us towards. Come on, you to stand if you want to as we engage with God. Let me pray. The band will lead us. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word.
We thank you that you've included this little story in the Old Testament that we might know that you are at work, even in the ordinary and the mundane, and that you use the ordinary and mundane for your extraordinary purposes. And I pray today, would that be an encouragement to us? Would that be a comfort to us for those of us who are facing difficulties and maybe just knowing the trials and tragedies of life? Would that give us a sense of significance, knowing that you're at work in our lives? And Jesus, we thank you for the way that this story points us to you. You, the great redeemer. You, the one who has come to rescue us. You, the one who has betrothed yourself to us, has welcomed us into your family. One day will marry us on that great day when you return. And we want to come in worship, in thanksgiving, in adoration, Lord, in response to all that you are and all that you've done for us. Spirit, help us to do that right now, we ask. Amen.